When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune Podcast. Uh, today, I'd like to welcome a first-time guest to the podcast, uh, Steve Penny, uh, publisher of the Silver Chartist Report. Steve, how are you doing today? Hey, Matt. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I've been a long-time listener, but like you said, first-time guest and excited, excited to chat with you today. Yeah, you know, one of the really interesting things that, that struck me is is maybe to some of my viewers, you know, Silver Chartist or Steve Penny might be a relatively new name in, you know, kind of the silver and gold space. Um, I think the other day you mentioned you just started this something like six months ago, but but what really struck me is that you've been doing this a lot longer than I have or a lot longer than other people have in the sense that you've been interested in precious metals since, you know, how long ago was that? 2000, 2008, 2009? Yeah, it was the 2008 great financial crisis that really opened my eyes and got me interested in economics, how the financial system works. And of course, that leads you down a path towards silver and gold. So that, that's really where it started for me. But yeah, you're right. I haven't really done much in the public domain until about six or seven months ago. So, so before we get started, because I have a lot of great questions, could, could you just kind of tell my listeners a little bit about what you do at the Silver Chartist Report? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for first of all, I'm, I'm just humbled and honored to see the growth that we've seen in our community. We're up to like 35,000 f- free and paid members in about seven months. So I'm just blown away and I'm humbled t- to see that kind of growth. And we have a free report that goes out every Sunday. And basically I show uh, the stocks that I'm interested in. We do a full report focused on technicals and fundamentals every single Sunday that comes out in the afternoon. And uh, we also do have a premium version. It's very low ticket. It's like $9 a month. And that's a fully transparent over-the-shoulder service where I show premium members exactly what I'm doing. You know, I've thought for a long time the newsletter industry, quote-unquote, is kind of ripe for disruption. So what what I try to be is a little bit different in that I'm fully transparent and I share my mistakes with uh, members as well, which we all make mistakes. And hopefully we can learn from that. So really humbled to uh, see the growth in our community and excited for what the future holds. Yeah, for sure. And we can talk more about that later. But I want to say, you know, I, I was surprised, you know, today I was, I was going about my, my day. And uh, out of nowhere, I got an email from, you know, this, this is, I'm referring to the, the paid service, uh, the premium membership um, regarding, you know, basically a price alert on uncertain, you know, stocks, these remaining stocks in this case. And even that, I mean, the, the research was spot on, the, the numbers, the, the technicals were spot on. And, and I did also want to point out, you know, one thing to, to my, to my listeners is that, you know, you, you are the silver chartist report. Um, but, you, but you mentioned that, that you don't just cover charts and, and, and technicals, you cover fundamentals and you care about fundamentals, which is, I think is so key in this space. I mean, the precious metals markets, uh, yes, you know, heavily manipulated um, prices, obviously, uh, you know, that the main thing we should be following, but, but fundamentals are, are key. Um, so, so I definitely appreciated that as well about this newsletter. And, and like I said, we can kind of talk more about that um, for, for the listeners that stick around for, for the end of today's interview. Sure. And just a quick note on that. I, I like to say fundamentals tell me what to buy. The technicals tell me when to buy and when to sell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I don't want to say this is unique 
to to your own uh, uh, newsletter this idea of of not going all in at once this idea that you're buying you can call it you know um, I've heard people have heard it's kind of like tranches or mm -hmm. or at certain levels you're going to invest a, a third of your intended possession at this price but if it drops more you're going to you know put another third in um, and and, and even that is, is like what you're saying is, is that it's not necessarily just what to buy, it's when to buy. And I think that's really key um, to, to kind of understanding precious metals. You know, uh, a lot of people like yourself um, that have been in metal, mar metal markets for a long time, uh, they didn't get in in 2008 or 2009. They got in in you know, 2010, 2011. Um, and, and obviously we saw how that turned out. So, so that really is the key is timing the precious metals market. Sure is. Uh, so, so starting off, um, kind of the discussion today, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about, uh, because I do think it's one of the, the, the most pressing, most, most interesting topics in the precious metal space just in the past couple of months is the physical silver market. You know, many people have, have predicted for some time that at some point there would be this big surge of, of physical demand into silver investment demand that would surpass um, not only, you know, not only what the supply, you know, the mines uh, were, were able to supply to the market, but also surpass what the existing, uh, you know, bullion stock would, would be able to absorb. Something that would surpass, you know, the surge in, in physical silver investment that we saw post-financial crisis kind of through 2016. And, and to some extent in the last year, it seemed that, that we're, you know, maybe on the cusp of, of kind of reaching that level, uh, you know, really since COVID started, we had an incredible surge in demand. And, and that's actually, I think, been surpassed just in the amount of physical silver demand or, or people buying, you know, products like PSLV uh, really since, you know, January of this year. So I wanted your thoughts on that. Um, how meaningful is this to the price action? Where do you foresee uh, this, this, this drain of the physical market heading? Yeah, I think I think we're in the early stages of it, and I would say it's more of a when question than an if question. You know, I, I do see um, you know the paper system being overrun by physical, actual physical supply demand, and this silver squeeze move, movement. I'm really happy to see that it's not turning out to be just a flash in the pan where you know those folks just lose interest. I think this is a marathon, not a sprint, and I think this movement to take physical metal off the market is really just beginning, and I think we're in the early stages. Um, so yes, I, I do think that's uh, a trend that's just, just beginning now where, when it's going to show up in price is when the industrial users sense that shortage. And eventually, you know, I think, uh, the likes of Tesla, General Electric, um, car companies, Samsung, electronics companies, when they sense some kind of supply squeeze, that's when you pit in industry against, uh, you know, the COMEX bankers. And uh, I think that's really when it we see some uh, fireworks to the upside. Yeah, it's a good point you make. You know, even even a lot of, of analysts, the, the Silver Institute included, have have talked about you know the the rise of silver and its use in in things that are more and more relevant to everyday life. Now, I mean, silver has always been a key element in, in electronics and construction of, of vehicles and houses and and, and you know a whole host of electric devices. Uh, but but certainly with the advent of things like electric vehicles, uh, smartphones and, and tablets and computers, it's it's become more and more of a of a uh, commodity that's that's 
um, very important to, to consumers. Um, and, and, and so I wanted your, your thoughts on, you know, cause we're talking about price action and the, the, this idea that, that at some point there's going to be a surge in demand, not only from, from physical investment, um, investors, but also, you know, industries basically trying to front run any sort of squeeze. Now, now I don't want to put you on the spot here, but, but what type of timing, not timing in the sense of when it's going to happen, but how quickly do you see something like that actually being reflected in the price of, of silver? Yeah. And uh, so two, two answers to that question. From a technical perspective, the number I'm looking at is $30 silver and $30.35, if you want to be really specific, that was the price peak on February 1st, I believe, on the silver squeeze, the height of the silver squeeze movement. Uh, so once we get above that $30.35 level on a weekly closing basis, I think we could see a pretty quick run towards uh, $50, which was the previous all-time high. And by the way, that may seem sensational to a lot of people, but you know, silver, to my knowledge, is the only commodity on the planet that's trading less than it was back in 1980, so 40 years ago. And it's not just a little bit less, it's like 50% below where it was in 1980. I don't think there's any other commodity out there that meets that criteria. So technically, that's what I'm looking for. Um, now, as far as like uh, timing for, um, you know, when this, when the COMEX might default or, you know, the silver squeeze is really going to explode. I don't know. I think the key is to be positioned for it ahead of time rather than trying to, you know, wait until that moment. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. And I think you're right on that. You know, 1980 was a huge year for commodities, huge year for, for silver, and in terms of metals, yeah, you're right. As far as I know, silver is the only one that isn't above that high, which is which is crazy because the amount of inflation we've experienced since 1980 is astounding. Uh, silver, uh, you know, its high back then was was essentially $50 an ounce, and, and here we are, you know, not even at $30 an ounce, um, which is really astounding. And and you brought up something really interesting there about the silver squeeze movement. You know, I remember back in in late January, early February, uh, th- this was. This was around the same time that we had the the whole thing with with GameStop and, and Wall Street bets. That's um, almost would appear that's where the silver squeeze or Wall Street silver movement sort of originated. Uh, that that was at the time something that I was concerned would not have much in terms of staying power, and, and yet if you know a quick perusal of, of posts on Reddit or, or Twitter uh, would suggest that that there's still a lot of a lot of investors buying a, a serious amount of, of physical silver and that's just in those communities. So what what is your take on, on why is why is that the case? Why is it that in the past couple months the the silver, the precious metal space has seen such a growth, not only in terms of, of demand for physical silver, but but people, people like you and I, not even just institutional investors, um, interested in the metal, uh, seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think a lot of us are so focused on COVID, but really this started before COVID was even a thing. If you go back to fall of 2020, around late September, early October, uh, remember we had this repo crisis and the Fed was injecting like billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, if not more almost every night on a daily basis into the, the market. And I think that was when the market started to sniff out that something's not right here. And that's when, you know, the metals really start to move up. So I think that was the start of it. But then on March 24th, I think that was a pivotal moment. That's when um, the Fed went full-blown QE back to full currency creation. 
and any sense of tapering was just gone, you know, on March 24th, that was the day. And um, I think that was a big wake up moment for a lot of generalist investors. And since then, you know, we've had the GameStop short squeeze movement, which translated into the silver squeeze movement, which, like I said before, I don't see that losing steam. Uh, like you, I was pretty skeptical in the beginning. I was like, oh, great. This is just going to be a flash in the pan, and then it's going to come right back down. But, you know, I've gotten to, to know those guys uh, over at Wall Street Silver. I did an interview with them, and th these guys aren't stopping. And I think uh, this is a movement that's really just starting. Um, so hopefully that answered that question. I went in a lot of different directions there, but uh, I think there's been a lot of catalysts just over this past year that have turned people towards silver. Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about GameStop and, and the short squeeze that occurred in that stock and some of the other stocks. And I mean, last time I checked, GameStop, I think is still trading, you know, north of $100 a share, at least, you know, it's, it's, um, it's fascinating to watch. Uh, but, but part of what caused that, specifically in GameStop, AMC, and some of those similar stocks, was was a lot of people that I don't know maybe had too much time and money on their hands or but but what what I really took away from it is that it was a lot of people that had well staying power they they were determined to to kind of achieve the goal that they set out to to achieve and and I'm getting that similar sense from from this Wall Street silver there a lot of these people are, are very new to the silver space um, but but they're talking and 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 acting on on uh, uh, what they're saying that it's, that it's not, not all just talk, but it's also action um, as if they've been, you know, that they've been a long-term stack, long-time stacker, that they're a veteran, you know, stacker. And, and of course that, that could change. Um, but it's, it, I agree. It's really struck me as, 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 as a group of people that have, have kind of set out to do something and not just on the basis of making money, and the basis of, of achieving kind of something more than that. And, and, you know, maybe if, if you could, maybe give me a little bit of your thoughts on that. You know, obviously everybody, you know, kind of gets into precious metals for the most part, whether it's metals or, or miners or whatever for, as an investment, I mean, for, for the money. Um, but, but there's obviously more to it, especially when it comes to silver. So what are, what are your thoughts on kind of the ideology behind something like a silver squeeze or buying silver in the first place? Yeah, for me, look, I, I try not to invest based on my ideology because, you know, you, for, for years, it, it's easy to lose money on principle. And, uh, you know, we, we don't we don't want to do that. My primary goal for our members and what I want to see people do is um, it's not my primary goal isn't to like take down the banking, the, the criminal bankers or whatever, although that would be really nice to see. But what I, I like to see is families achieve financial freedom, you know, get out of debt and so they can have some time freedom to pursue life's higher callings, things that matter in eternity. Um, so that's the primary objective with this investment thesis. I think a lot of people are going to make a lot of money who are invested in the, you know, in silver and in the right mining stocks. So, um, you know, that, that's my primary objective. But, you know, that, that it would certainly be nice to see th these bankers suffer for, for it as well. However, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I hate to sound like a Debbie Downer. I met with uh, Jim Sinclair, who a lot of people might be familiar with. He's the guy who called the top in 1980. They called him Mr. Gold. And, uh, one thing he said that really stuck with me is that when silver goes, the bankers are going to be on the right side of it, unfortunately, and they'll probably be manipulating it to the upside. Um, and we can see that right now with JP Morgan acquiring physical silver hand over fist while simultaneously shorting the paper price. So uh, I'm less optimistic that we're going to like take down JP Morgan or any of these criminal bankers, although that would be nice to see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the fact of the matter is I mean, you bring up JP Morgan in particular, 
they've been they've been stacking silver really since um since it, it, it maybe 2015 2014 somewhere in that time period after silver had come down considerably that's when they they really started really adding to their their stack i think they might have officially opened up their their vault in and it might have been back in 2011 i forget it was exactly. 2011 yep 2011 okay and um and, and you're right you know they they do they do simultaneously short and, and you know manipulate the, the paper market uh, at least in, in my opinion uh but but they they certainly are going to be on on you know on on the right side of this you know you look at at governments around the world as well i mean it's it's certainly debatable in the community you know, the existence of the fiscal gold in in, in fort knox and, and the u.s gold reserves but certainly around the world um gold is 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 uh, heavily held by by central banks it's heavily held by um, the wealthy and 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 the other you know i think really key thing to understand is that like you're saying you know if you're talking about banks or if you're talking about the one percent or whatever uh and and how they'll kind of make out and, and any sort of economic reset or any type of of um um short squeeze specific to the precious metals space um unfortunately i do think that they'll make it out on the other end just fine because because a lot of them they don't keep their money in in fiat mm-hmm. um they, they keep it in in property they keep it in equity um and and they certainly keep it in some cases in, in things like precious metals and other commodities um so unfortunately maybe that is the case doesn't mean it's a it's not a battle worth fighting but but sure. uh, yeah yeah um so so you kind of brought up fundamentals you talked about the federal reserve and 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 their actions in, in 2020 in part, well, even went back to 2019, which, which is almost so easy to forget uh, after, after what they started in March of 2020. Um, but, but, you know, you brought up their, their actions in the repo market and, and how, you know, back then they, they were telling us everything was fine and, and, and certainly it was far from okay. Rather than just, you know, looking back and I'm not gonna put you on the spot and make any like absolute prediction here, but in terms of fundamentals going forward, in terms of the Federal Reserve, you know, monetary policy and and uh, fiscal policy by the US government, kind of what are you envisioning going forward as we, you know, some would say maybe we'll find some sort of recovery from this this COVID induced uh, recession? Uh, yeah, I, I think any recovery is gonna be artificial. You know, the, the question remains to be seen. Can they kick the can one more time down the road? You know, uh, others have used this analogy, but I look at all this currency creation and debt monetization as kind of like a heroin addict, you know, getting one more shot, giving the economy one more shot of uh, monetary heroin. And, you know, it might feel good at the time, but eventually, you know, the the user keels over and crashes. So, you know, whether this current, uh, you know, uh, liquidity injections are going to be able to kick the can for one more big blow off top, I, I honestly don't know. I just don't know. Um, I could I could see a blow off top in you know all kinds of assets over the next few months followed by a crash, but th- that's pure speculation. So so one of the things we had kind of talked about uh, uh, prior to to starting this interview today was this idea of an exit strategy, um, and and this is something that that I've thought about considerably uh, for myself. I talked about it to some extent on my podcast in the po- in the past. Uh, but but I think it's important to to think about ahead of time in terms of precious metals, in terms of uh, mining stocks, having a, a a plan in terms of an exit strategy. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on that um, as it relates to physical silver, uh, 
and, and maybe some of the liquidity concerns there as it relates to, to stocks or paper shares of silver. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, I'll let you talk. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but <laughs> yeah, I, that's such a great question because going back and studying previous bull markets, uh, especially the one from the seventies, th- there were so many people that rode that bull market for 10 plus years, but they had no exit strategy. And then they watched all their gains evaporate. So having an exit strategy is critical. If you're going to be in the space, you have to have one, especially if you're in the mining stocks. Now, there's no right or wrong answer. The important thing is to have one and you can write it in pencil and change it along the way. Um, So having a personalized exit strategy is key. You know, personally, my plan is I want to, at the end of all this, there's a certain amount of physical metal I'm not going to sell. I want to leave it to my children and their children's children as insurance for, you know, the generations, hopefully. However, I don't want to keep all of it and I don't want to keep all these mining stocks. So they're very cyclical. So some principles to keep in mind are my, my personal strategy is to gradually de-risk as the bull market matures. So cycling from the more speculative junior miners into the more senior uh, producers, and then even into the gold mining stocks, and then eventually into physical as the bull market matures. Um, so, so that's part of my plan. You know, uh, I plan to take some profits as we approach 50 silver. And then my long-term exit strategy is not based on dollars because I think the dollar is going to become an increasingly less reliable unit of account, but instead I'm going to use ratios. So things like the Dow gold ratio, uh, silver to real estate ratio, real interest rates, uh, things like that. And I've got a detailed strategy for my, for myself. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great, great thought to bring up the idea of ratio something I've brought up in the past, but, but certainly, uh, Getting your getting your mindset out of dollars. I mean, we're talking mostly in terms of, of silver and gold right now. We're talking about the price in, in terms of dollars. Uh, but but certainly the last thing you'd want to do as a long-term exit strategy as as kind of like this is, you know, maybe the top or, you know, this is the time to, to de-risk and, and, and sell out of, of, of stocks or even the physical to some extent um, is to to find something better than dollars. I mean, that's part of why we're getting in precious metals in the first place. What are your thoughts? So you're talking about ratios here. What are your thoughts on, on kind of silver versus gold, um, silver gold ratio as a, as an exit strategy or even, or even as a, you know, trading strategy along the way, I've certainly seen people leverage that along the way in the past, you know, you know, since 2011 in, in, in the down market, kind of the sideways market for a while, they're, they're still being able to leverage the gold to silver ratio. So I wanted your thoughts on that. Absolutely. So quick thought on the gold to silver ratio back in March of 2020, we reached an all time, like all time as in, you know, uh, centuries record of 123 to one. And that was historic. We've since come down to a low of about 65 to one. So silver has almost outperformed gold by a factor of roughly two in the past year. Uh, Now that's still historically undervalued. Silver is still historically undervalued and bull markets typically peak around a 15 to one gold to silver ratio. Silver is mined from the ground at about an eight to one ratio. So over the intermediate to long term, I think silver is going to outperform gold handily. Uh, now, speaking of ratios, I divide the entire precious metals complex into kind of six subcomponents. So you have physical silver, physical gold, senior gold miners, senior silver miners, junior silver miners, and junior gold miners. That's a that's a mouthful, but I look at those six components. And then I look at ratios against each other and using those, I can stay fully invested in the sector, 
but just rotating am- amongst the different subcomponents that are undervalued at the time. So like last year, we were almost exclusively in junior silver miners because they were just wildly undervalued relative to junior gold miners, senior gold miners, everything. And uh, that continues to be the case, just not to the extent that it was, you know, a year ago. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, who who doesn't look back at, you know, basically a year ago, March of 2020, and wish that they had gotten into uh, some of those mining stocks. I mean, ridiculously low levels. Um, in terms of, of kind of the gold to silver ratio, where do you see it? Again, what, 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 what's your motto? You, you, you don't deal in predictions, you deal in probabilities. Uh, but where do you kind of see it? What's a good level to kind of be thinking like, maybe this is, this is it. Or, or, or are you one of those people that, that, you know, see it going all the way down to 15 to one, 10 to one, five to one. I mean, I hear those types of predictions all the time as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I do think it's, it's very likely we go sub 15 to one, probably I I would, I was almost going to say maybe, but I I would almost say probably less than 10 to one. However, that doesn't mean I'm going to hold all my silver until then I'm going to gradually swap silver for gold as that ratio compresses. And personally, I'm going to start doing that around 50 to one, because right now I'm heavily skewed towards physical silver over gold, like, uh, you know, heavily, we'll just say I'm about 95% in silver. 5% 5% in physical gold. Once that ratio gets below 50 to one, I'll gradually start scaling out of silver and into gold. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's, I, I think that's a really great point to bring up. Like I, like we were talking about earlier that, you know, if you're, if you're picking a stock to buy, you maybe don't buy your entire position on day one and, and kind of the same is true for that type of a transition. And same is true for, for this kind of idea of this exit strategy. Um, you, you kind of brought up this idea of, of, you know, 10 to one, uh, sub to, you know, sub 15 to one in terms of, of the gold to silver ratio. So, so what, what are your thoughts on, on liquidity at that point, especially in the physical market, you know, mm-hmm. paper markets, um, equity markets is a bit of liquidity is, is something to, to think about in that case as well. Um, but in terms of, of the people, the person that's listening that has, I don't know, a hundred ounce silver bar, a monster mm-hmm. box of silver eagles, things along those lines, uh, what what are some things that you consider in terms of liquidity for physical silver? Yeah, and that's a really good point because I always want to be transparent about the risks to that strategy. There's always the risk that you know physical metal is available and you can't make that swap. Um, I think at fifty to one ratio, you'll probably be able to. But as you start getting down to like a twenty or thirty to one ratio, things are probably going to be crazy, and you may not be able to swap gold for silver. So you, the 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 things I'm talking about are just simple little steps you can do to amplify your returns in this bull market. But really, the simplest thing, if you know, if you got a couple thousand bucks, your your simplest path is probably just to buy some physical, maybe an ETF like SILJ or uh, SGDJ, and just wait. You know, just you don't have to tinker with it too much if if you're dealing with uh, relatively smaller dollar amounts. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good point to bring up as well. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about miners. We've been talking a lot about physical silver, but we, we brought up miners um, and, and you kind of talked about your, your kind of idea of, of dividing them up into four different categories. 
but but overall, kind of where do they come into the conversation for you? I mean, how obviously, you know, when when you're looking at silver or gold miners in relation to to the actual price of of the metals, they they operate in in sort of a leveraged manner. That's the idea behind it. That's why somebody would buy a, a, a miner uh, in the first place is is for for the leverage, and then you know also maybe you know dividends depending on what what type of stock you're actually talking about. But but where do they kind of come into the conversation for you? Where do you place them in in terms of, in terms of your own uh, you know, portfolio construction? Yeah, great question. And it's one of the biggest mistakes I see, especially with people who are new to the space because they want to make a bunch of money quick. And you can make more money with the mining stocks. But I really always advocate for owning physical metal stored outside of the banking system first, prior to speculating in mining stocks. And I like to think of it as defense versus offense. You build your moat before your castle, your defense before your offense. And I look at physical metal as defense. It's your insurance policy against all the reckless fiscal and monetary policies that are so prevalent around the world. But the mining stocks are your offense. So, um, you know, advocate starting with physical metal first and then move on to mining stocks. I think that's a good way of kind of thinking about it. You know, the, one of the things with with any stock, but certainly minor minor stocks, is that you do run into to counterparty risk that that won't exist with just physical silver and gold. Um, in the in the sense that that all of a sudden now you have to take into consideration um, the the performance of the company. Um, you know, uh, we, we'd all like to think that you know. We, we have a company figured out and, and, and this is the company I'm going to buy because um, look at, at their, their balance sheet, look at their predictions in terms of, of metal you know, production in the future. Um, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be managed effectively. Um, many of these companies are not U.S. based, not that the U.S. is, is always going to be the, the best or one of the better um, you know, governments to, to deal with. Same goes for state governments, but but certainly there is a lot of risk um, for for a mine that might be based in a less geopolitical geopolitically um, stable country, you know, like like a Mexico, like a Peru, um, and certainly that's something that I kind of think of a lot about as well with with mining stocks. Is is there's counterparty risk? There's counterparty risk with with the exchanges as well. You know, we we see that with with things like like GameStop earlier this year that that. Uh, that's not always as, as easy as, as just buying and selling a, a paper share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we just did a video for our members recently talking about how to construct a mining stock portfolio. And it's interesting because most people, and rightfully so, just want to focus on what stocks do I buy? And before I even ask myself that question, I ask myself, how do I want to diversify ge- geographically, jurisdictional uh, diversification? And then number two, what percentage of the portfolio do I want to have in like the top tier producers, the mid tier uh, near term producers or junior producers, and then the um, highly speculative uh, exploration and development place. So how do you want to structure that portfolio? Cause if you're not intentional about that, you might end up with, you know, 80% of your portfolio being in these speculative miners all concentrated in Mexico. You know, that's way too much risk um, if you're not intentional about it before. You, so I ask myself those questions before even looking at individual stocks. Yeah, and I think that's that's certainly um, certainly a wise thing to do as far as as you know protecting yourself against those types of risks. Um, I don't know if you've ever read um, Atlas Shrugged. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and you know that's a, that's a bit of a dystopian dystopian future, but but that's something that always comes to mind. You know, in this story, there's basically this massive 
a copper mine that, that, a, that a character has kind of built their wealth off of. And uh, in the story, it, it essentially, if I remember correctly, essentially becomes nationalized, correct? Yep, it sure does. Yeah. And once, once these silver and gold prices really get moving, there's going to be increased, all kinds of increased risks with these mining stocks. And that's another reason I'll be cycling out of, you know, mining stocks and into physical as the bull market matures. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, of fine, in terms of the financial system, uh, gold is a strategically important asset in terms of, of economics, in terms of geopolitics, uh, silver is, is, is also a very um, strategically important resource. And, and it's simply the fact that that silver in particular has maybe been underappreciated by, by governments and certainly investors, you know, over the years, but what we see how governments, um, you know, to some extent here in, in the U.S. And, and, and North America, but certainly in places like the Middle East, you know, Venezuela, um, some other countries, how they treat their their reserves of petroleum and, and oil and, and natural gas, that they view it as a very strategically important resource. And it's not something that they're going to, to um, allow, let's say, foreign companies to as easily, you know, extract for their own profit. And, and I think, that could be a real reality, especially for silver, you know, in the future, depending on, you know, the, the acuity of any type of shortage, how long that might last. Um, and then certainly the, the price level as well. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think the COVID supply chain constraints are shedding light on this issue. And, you know, it's, it's being talked about more is the supply chain. And we're starting to see the government's um, enact policies to secure uranium. So we're seeing the, the government build a nuclear uh, a uranium reserve, strategic uranium reserve. Um, uh, rare earth elements are getting talked about as a strategic metal and building up an inventory. And I think silver is uh, probably going to be up for discussion here pretty soon, pretty soon. You know, uranium is actually one thing we haven't touched on a whole lot in today's discussion give me a little bit of your thoughts on that now i mean uranium you know i'll just let you answer the question what are your thoughts on uranium <laughs> uranium mining um right now sure yeah uranium is um for our newsletter i like to say we're laser focused on silver uranium and gold and a lot of silver and gold investors maybe aren't familiar with uranium and a lot of uranium investors aren't familiar with silver or gold so i, I think the two have so much in common for example uh Silver and uranium both have a near-term or intermediate-term, let's call it, $50 price target. Uh, they're both going to be, uh, they're both very small markets with the potential for in incredibly large returns. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. For, for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the bull market, in your, the, bull market the bull thesis in uranium, um, it's a pure supply-demand scenario. Roughly 20% of the U.S. grid is powered by nuclear, and about 11% of the global grid is powered by uh, nuclear. And the uranium price is right around $30 a pound. And in order to incentivize the new production that's going to be needed to come online, that uranium price is going to have to rise to at least at least $50 a pound, if not more. And back before that Fukushima disaster in 2011, the spot price was up around $137. It peaked, and it was kind of sustained above $100 for a while there. So we're down here at like $29. This uranium market has a, a huge you know, move to run. And as one of my uh, people I look up to, Rick Rule says, either the uranium price rises or the lights go out because we're going to need a lot more supply of uranium and it's just not economic to produce at $30 a pound. It has to go up to 50 at least. So uh, uranium, I, I love that story. I put roughly 20% of the portfolio into uranium miners and uh, really excited about that. 
you know, I won't pretend to be nearly as knowledgeable about the, the uranium and, and uranium physical market um, as, as yourself or, or as much as I might know about, you know, the physical or the gold market. Um, but, but in many ways, you could compare the physical market and, and kind of some of the, the upcoming supply constraints to maybe a better comparison would be something to like, like rhodium or platinum or palladium. Um, in the sense that there's not nearly as much given that market as there is in uh, in silver. Um, it's it's a these mine you know mining production is far more concentrated geographically, um, and 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 kind of like something you touched base on earlier about silver. Maybe one one good comparison between them would be that that uh, there's there's that serious risk that um, that that the users of uranium. Uh, power plants um, that they that they front run the market that they front run the physical you know any sort of sort of shortage thus basically in, inducing the shortage is that kind of where where you kind of see things as well yeah I think you summarized that really well but one, one little point one little distinction is you talked about the utilities front running it's act, actually the opposite is happening right now just in the past few weeks uh, the utilities are due to start their long term contracting cycle they're going to need to start that soon. Well, just in the past few weeks, some of the physical-backed uranium funds, uh, Yellow Cake, Uranium Participation Corp., have gone out and taken physical pounds off the ground. And then some uranium miners actually see that it's cheaper to buy spot uranium right now than it is to go out and mine it. So five or six companies went and bought almost 10 million pounds of uranium uh, just in the past few weeks. So that's supply that's been removed from the market, and that's going to force these uh, utilities to, to move, to start to secure that uranium uh, in, in the near term here. I mean, who knows when they're going to start to do that, but uh, I, I would anticipate sometime in the next few months, the long-term contracting cycle to begin. And that's really when this bull market, I would expect to, to begin accelerating. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting about uranium long-term, and, and this is more of a fundamental than just in, in terms of current supply demand constraints or current price action is uh, the the importance of the of the nuclear energy, and, and this is my own opinion. It's it's a certainly a controversial topic, especially post Fukushima. Um, but but the importance of the of, of nuclear power to to the energy grid here in the United States and, and abroad. Uh, you know, later this week, I'm having a uh, a guest I've had on the on the podcast in the past, uh, Steve San Angelo um, of the uh, SRS Rocker Report. On, and 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 he has you know a very interesting take on on kind of the future of, of fossil fuels and 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 kind of where we're at right now and, and how dire the situation is and it, and it just it's a great reminder that that especially in, in, in um, when, when you look at the economics of something like shale oil um, when you look at really the the lack of of um, solar energy or, or wind energy to really pick up the slack of, of kind of the planned phase out of, of things like, like coal um, as, as the constituent of our, of our power grid, uh, it, it really, the, the importance of uranium, the importance of, of nuclear reactors in the future really hits home for me. Absolutely. And what, one thing that's also interesting is historically, going back decades, uh, the Democrats, the left has always been opposed to nuclear. Well, they've now embraced it as part of their Green New Deal. So there's really very little political opposition, especially here in the United States, to nuclear. It's got you know zero emissions, carbon-free, 
all that. So it's being embraced by both sides. And I can almost anticipate what Steve's going to say. I, I really respect Steve's work a lot. Um, I, I follow him closely and he looks at everything through the lens of energy returned on energy invested. And he, he may have some criticisms of uranium on that front. And I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but we, we can see that they're going to move in this direction. And I think that spot price is going to have to go to $50 a pound. Now, what happens thereafter? I don't know. The, the risks, you know, begin to increase. But I think between where we are now and $50 a pound uranium, there's a lot of money to be made. So let's talk about acquiring physical uranium. We won't go into physical uranium. but um... <laughs> Get uranium, uranium eagles, a monster box. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, this idea of kind of a confluence of, of suddenly a lot of political support with, with a lot of dollars behind it. I mean, whether it's green new deal or, or, or just uh, this, this mass amount of, of planned infrastructure spending, planned fiscal stimulus, um, fiscal stimulus that probably hasn't even been announced yet. Um, there's been a lot of spending going on. And in terms of, of, of silver, you know, this is something that's been kind of brought up as a, as a major part of kind of the bull thesis for, for silver is that, you know, in 20. 21, you know, with a Biden, with a Biden administration, with, with Democrats um, in office, that, that, that we can expect a large amount of, of increase in, in the industrial demand for silver on the basis of things like electrical vehicles, which, which certainly use much more silver than, than a lot of conventional um, uh, internal combustion engines do. Uh, even hybrids use, use quite a bit of silver. Um, you know, the same is true, obviously, for, for, uh, for solar panels. But 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 on the topic of uranium, you know, kind of situation where where you're having sort sort of a silver shortage, you're having the economics of of oil um, really really worsening in, in recent years, and and all of a sudden you have you have the Democrats in office as well. Yeah, I agree 100% with everything you just said there. I mean, like going back in all of history, like it, you'd be hard pressed to find a time in history where that is more a more bullish environment for the monetary metals. And you could even say commodities in, in general. I, I look at this one chart. It's the commodity index versus um, the S&P 500 going back uh, 40 years. And commodities have really never been this cheap relative to paper assets in a very, very long time, in many decades. Yeah, you know, you're talk, you're, you, kind of, you said earlier that one of your main goals is this idea of, of increasing financial independence, you know, real wealth for, for your newsletter subscribers. Um, but, but how about just preserving wealth in the first place? You know, I mean, that's kind of one of the key ideas behind commodities or precious metals is, is, Hey, at least you won't lose everything, um, in, in, in terms of, of fiat or fiat, you know, derived assets. Um, at, at least you'll, you'll have something, you know, and, and, and maybe that's a little too cynical. I think we'd be more optimistic than that, but, but at least you won't lose as much as, um, you know, maybe a, the average family in, in Venezuela or, or, um, you know, Weimar. Uh, Germany. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that's, I think the role of physical metal is not necessarily capital appreciation, but capital preservation. Yeah. Um, although I think, I do think you'll see quite a bit of capital appreciation in silver, but I, I look at gold, especially as more just like a pres uh, preservation of capital. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the, now we can, we can talk a bit about inflation, you know, but, but certainly some of the the price moves that we've seen in the last um, several months, last year in in commodities, uh, not not just above their March 2020 lows, but but above their you know, kind of where they were at pre-COVID. You know, take the lumber market, um, 
for example, but, but you know, certainly silver, a lot of other metals, base metals as well, that this move up has not necessarily been entirely just inflation. You know, inflation isn't at, you know, 400% year over year, like, like the, the price of lumber is, or what is that? I don't know the exact number. It's probably higher than that. Or, or whatever other type of increase we've seen in base metals. Maybe inflation isn't that high, but I think that's the type of situation you have when, when inflation expectations begin to rise, right? Is that, is that kind of what, what you kind of see as well in terms of capital uh, appreciation? Yeah, I do. I mean, something can rise in nominal terms, but lose value in real terms. Like, for example, people who hold, hold the, the vast majority of their wealth in stocks. I mean, the stock market could double. But if everything else quadruples, did your money double or did you lose half your value? You know, and that's why the central planners prefer inflation because the, the populace doesn't understand it they, and they don't know who to blame. And they and the populace tends to blame each other in an inflationary environment as opposed to the source of the problem, which are, you know, these central planners who put us in this predicament in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I remember back to, to uh, you know, my own childhood, which wasn't all that long ago. But I remember even from my grandparents hearing stories about back in, in like, you know, 60s, especially like 70s and 80s, this idea that, that they could just take part of their paycheck and, and buy, um, you know, buy a 10-year bond with it. And that that was like a legitimate way to, to save and to really you know, invest and then build your wealth. And, and that's just not a reality anymore. You know, pension funds are happy to get 7% year over year, 8%. And yet that's still pretty abysmal when you account for, you know, the real rate of inflation. Yeah, it's, it's really sad. I mean, people are forced to speculate in these risky assets just to keep up. And, um, you know, it's, it's like everything is backwards, you know, like, um, personally, I'm opposed to debt, you know, as, as a Bible believing Christian, you know, there's nothing good in the Bible about debt. However, like you're incentivized by having, um, you know, a 30 year mortgage right now because inflation eats that away. So I, I don't really have an answer for that, but it's, it's one of the things I wrestle with. Like, for example, debt, you know, do, do I pay off my mortgage early or do I let inflation eat it away? You know, as someone who's opposed to debt. So it, it, everything is distorted in this environment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've looked at, you know, mortgage rates and it's, it's almost like you have inside knowledge and you just realize like current mortgage rates are, are, you know, over a 30 year term, that's, um, that's so much lower than, than what we're going to see in terms of inflation. Most likely, I mean, we could be wrong, but, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, pretty crazy. So, so, you know, kind of wrap things up. I, I wanted to hear more about your, your newsletter here, but not just me. I, I want to, I want you to share more about it with, with my listeners today. Um, we've touched base on it probably like a half dozen times already in this, in this discussion, but, but, but just kind of give your quick synopsis on, on kind of what you cover and, and what type of value you provide to, uh, to, to not just paid subscribers, but, but the free, um, the free members as well. Yeah, I would recommend everyone just go start out with that free one. You know, we don't spam you or hit you with any kind of high pressure sales or anything like that. The, our, our goal is just to provide tons of value for free. And if you ever, um, would like to upgrade, that's great. But if you'd like to stay a free member, that's just fine too. And um, we set up a link just for your listeners, Matt, and they can go to silverchartistfortune.com, silverchartistfortune.com, get that free letter. And basically what we do, we've got some really good contributors as well. I was uh, just humbled to have Jeff Clark. You know, you might know him from he, uh, Mike Maloney's sidekick. Jeff's been around for years. He contributes every week in the newsletter. We've got a couple other great technical analysts. Um, contributing. And that's all for free in the weekly report. 
And then there is a paid version. It's $9 a month or $89 a year. Um, and that's where you get the fully transparent over the shoulder service with real time alerts. And we're laser focused on silver, uranium, and gold. Uh, we provide educational videos. We do live Q and A's with company CEOs. And uh, we talk about things like our exit strategy in detail. So the goal is just to provide tons of value at a, at a price point that's available to everyone. You know, our, our goal is to help as many everyday people, hardworking people as we possibly can. And that's why we made the premium version so cheap. And that's why we provide so much value. Uh, we try to anyway, in the free version. And um, uh, silverchartisfortune.com is where they can check that out. You know, price, price is always a touchy subject, but I mean, you know, one, one person that always comes to mind, yeah, I've, I've heard him before. I think I was introduced to him on the uh, Macro Voices podcast with Eric Townsend was uh, uh, Marin Katusa. You're familiar with him? Uh, yes. It, it, huge precious metals, uh, commodities guy, um, a lot of great insight. And, and I have no doubt that, that, you know, if I had full, you know, access to his, um, to his, his newsletter and, and, and kind of the information he puts out that, that, that I would do very well, you know, trading based on that information. And, and, and so basically what I'm saying here is that he's a super smart guy and I, you know, I love what he does. Um, but it's, it's, um, after a $5, $500 discount, it's roughly $3,000 to get his, you know, membership as, as part of his program. That's just not something that's accessible or, or feasible to a lot of kind of average, average Joe's. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think um, not to sound uh, prideful or anything like that, you know, there's, but I, I think, I think we provide just as much value and, you know, we've got Jeff Clark, Jeff Clark and Marin Katusa and Lobo Tigre all work side by side at Casey research back in the day. So, you know, Jeff Clark's part of that crew and, you know, he, we've got him providing tons of value for, you know, ridiculously low prices. So not, not to plug our newsletter too much, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. So, so one more time, where can they, where can they kind of find that? Sure. sure. It's a link just for your listeners, silverchartistfortune.com. Awesome. All right. And that you can, to, to my listeners, you can find that down in the description of this yeah, YouTube video should be down in the you know show notes or the description of this, um, of this podcast, if you're listening on in the, uh, podcast platform. Um, Steve, I just want to kind of wrap up by saying thank you. You know, thanks for being such a wonderful guest and kind of sharing your thoughts, sharing your your insight into the precious metals market. Uh, is there anything you kind of want to leave my uh, my listeners with before we uh, close this up? No, I just want to thank you for inviting me on. You know, I've been, like I said, I've been listening to you for a while and just had the thought about a couple of weeks ago, just, hey, I, I need to connect with this guy. I think we've got a lot in common and um, look forward to hopefully uh, chatting more in the years to come and weeks and months ahead. Well, yeah, I appreciate you reaching out and it's, it's, it's an honor of mine to hear somebody that, that has been, you know, found such success and has such kind of insight into precious metals markets would, would, um, you know, listen to some of my ramblings. On my podcast. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I think it's a uh, super high quality and uh, I, I try and catch every episode. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, like I said, there, there's that link down below in the description. Certainly you can find all of his work over on the Silver Chartist Report. Um, once again, thank you for, for coming in. Thank you to my viewers for tuning into today's podcast. Like I said, later this week, you can look forward to, uh, to hopefully listen to an interview with Steve San Angelo. Um, but Steve, thanks for, thanks for uh, joining me today and God bless. You bet. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. All right.